Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Starting the 17th verse of Acts chapter 3, if you have that, would you stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning? So Acts chapter 3, 17th verse reads like this, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Father, this morning we have heard the name of Jesus Christ proclaimed through our fellowship time, through our music, through our prayers to you this morning, Father. And now I ask you to help us focus upon that name, the name that was so important to Peter that he stood before thousands of Jews and Condemn them by telling them what they did with that person named Jesus. Let us see ourselves in their sandals standing in that portico this morning as we listen to Peter's words. Let your word be heard, Father, by making very little of me and very much of you, that you may be glorified in this place. It's in the name of the word, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we've been looking at this sermon of uh, Peter's here for about five weeks. This being our sixth week in this uh, short sermon of Peter's. Aren't you glad that I didn't preach in the portico? They'd have been there about a month and starved to death waiting for the invitation probably. But there's so much in what Peter said to these. There's, there's Peter and John and they've been standing there before, as, as Peter said, the men of Israel uh, in verse 12. And, and they've been gathered in this porch or this portico of Solomon uh, there at the temple. And, and uh, they're standing there with the one who is a is a physical demonstration of God's power, if you remember, because this whole thing started at, at the gate beautiful with the lame man uh, being given the only thing that, that Peter had to give him, which is the power of God through the name of Jesus Christ. As he stopped and he, he spoke to him and said, rise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. So standing there with him is this man that was formerly lame. And, and, and Peter, Peter's been standing in the portico and he's been heaping upon them the guilt of their rejection and murder of this, this man, Jesus Christ. And, and he's just laying this guilt on their shoulders. And, and he's telling them, he's explaining to them that, that what has taken place with this man, Jesus, at, at this cross. And he's relating it to the power that they've seen and witnessed in the slain man being healed and laid a guilt on her shoulders, <laughs> he is surely done. He is surely done. You see, he's done this by giving them five names, five characteristics, declaring who Jesus is. And, and he's, he's told them with each of those characteristics, this is the man that you've murdered. <laughs> this, this is the man that you've killed. He's pulled no punches. And then he comes to this verse 17 that we just read, and he, and he makes a statement. He says, yet now. He's getting ready to make a transition. This is, this is a transition statement. It carries us from what's been said to what he's about to say. It makes a connection between these first five names and the sixth name that, that he's about to declare to them. He says this, this yes now. And then he goes on to say after he says, uh, yet now, brethren, I know that you did this in ignorance. Boy, that's the way to... Boost the crowd, isn't it? <laughs> Preacher gets up every morning and says, I know you're ignorant. Turn in your Bibles to such and such page. Well, that's a way to draw a crowd now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, he'd, he'd been telling them that they're, 
about their participation in the death of Jesus. And, and, and he had told them they were guilty for the death of Jesus Christ. And make no mistake, they were no more guilty than we are. They were no more guilty than we are. Because if it wasn't for our sin, Jesus Christ would have never crawled upon the cross or had to crawl upon the cross. Yes, they may have been the ones that screamed for Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be murdered, but by us deciding to accept sin over God, we were screaming the exact same thing. We were asking for the murderer, not the Prince of Life, if you remember from last week. And now he tells him, he says, you know what, I, I understand why you did this. I understand why you did it. <laughs> You're ignorant. You're ignorant. What a word. <laughs> what a word. Let me put a little light on that word for you. If you remember way back a couple of years ago when we were in the book of Ephesians, we ran across this fourth chapter in the 18th verse. And the 18th verse of the fourth chapter of Ephesians says this, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. You see, when he said they were ignorant, he wasn't saying they didn't know anything. He wasn't talking about their, their physical intellect. He was talking about their spiritual heart. They were ignorant about God's love for them. They were ignorant about God sending His only begotten Son. They were ignorant about this Jesus being the Messiah that they so desperately wanted. Peter, like Paul, is not saying that they were ignorant people. What he's saying is that the knowledge they do have comes from the wrong place. It comes from the wrong source. Their understanding of the Messiah and who the Messiah would be came from their tradition, not from God. Careful, church. A lot of what we do and a lot of how we see God and a lot of what we think about Jesus comes from our tradition, not from the Word of God. And that's what he's telling them. He's saying it's not that you're not pursuing God. It's not that you're not looking for a Messiah. It's, it's not that you're an irreligious, ignorant people. It's that you're using the wrong source. You're going through all the right motions, but you're taking your advice in the wrong places. Since you're working from the traditions of past, instead of the proclamation of God. Through the proclamation of God. He even goes as far as to say, after he says, uh, I know that you did it in ignorance. He goes on to throw a little gasoline on the fire. He says, as did also your rulers. <laughs> to us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But to that group standing there in that portico, that could have incited a riot. Why were they looking for a Messiah? <laughs> they wanted to get rid of the rulers they had. They wanted to get rid of this Roman rule, this control factor, this, this whole government that suppressed them, that for eons, it seems like, in their mind, they had been in bondage to someone or something. They wanted to get rid of these rulers. And now he says, you know what? You guys were just ignorant about the whole thing. Matter of fact, you were ignorant, just like your rulers. A slap in the face. <laughs> Peter pulls no punches. He says that, that you are ignorant just as those that you want so desperately to be overthrown and out of your life and out from under. What is it that they were ignorant about? You know, if, if their ignorance didn't come from the fact that they were intellectually deprived, what, what then is their, their ignorance about? He goes on to tell us in verse 18 when he says, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all 
his prophets. Keep in mind this Jewish community that stood before him. These these men of Israel were steeped in tradition. Tradition came through the voices of those from the past. Those voices that spoke on behalf of God in the Old Testament. And what what were those voices? They they were given a label. Prophets. These, These voices were prophets. And Peter tells them that their ignorance comes from not heeding the word of God through the prophets. From not hearing what God had been trying to tell them through the prophets that they held in such high esteem. You know what happens in many of our churches today? I'm thankful. I'm thankful you guys hold the Bible in such high esteem and you hold to the truth of the word. You know there are pulpits. The pastor doesn't have the liberty to do what I do in opening the word and let the word explain itself and tell you what God said through the word, not through the pastor. There are pulpits. It only takes one time flipping on the TV or the radio to understand that at the end of the day, you know more about the pastor and what he had for lunch on Saturday than you do about what God said. And there's churches that, to them, that's hearing from God. God told us about that. Said one day their ears are going to (laughs) itch for what they want to hear, not what God's got to say. You know, what what he's heaping upon them is saying, it wasn't like you didn't have warning, guys. You've been hearing from the prophets for years. God has spoken, even prophesied about this Messiah. Yet you would rather follow your tradition than what the prophets had proclaimed to you. That is what Peter's been telling them in the first five names. The first five names he's given them is reached back to those things that the prophet had spoken. And you know the strange thing? It hit me this week as I was studying for this sixth name. Those first five names and what they meant, those people standing in the portico would have agreed with Peter that they all spoke of the Messiah. Now don't get me wrong. (laughs) They might have agreed that they spoke of the Messiah, but they didn't agree that that Messiah was Jesus Christ. They agreed that those things that Peter had said about the prophets and what the prophets had said, they agreed, yes, yes, that, that, that is about the Messiah. Yet they couldn't make the connection to this Jesus. So what is it about those names that they would have been in agreement about? Let's quickly think about those as we point to the last one. The very first name, if you remember, was the servant. They would have agreed that God's Messiah would come as some type of servant. And and why would they say that? Because Isaiah, Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets, said that. Called him a suffering servant, as a matter of fact, that he would be a servant to them. And, And they had experienced, in some sense, God's servanthood to the people of Israel and is taking care of them. (laughs) Yet, they were ignorant that this man Jesus was the servant of God and the servant of man. They agreed, yes, the Messiah would come and be a type of servant, but they were ignorant to the fact that this Jesus was that servant. The second name, if you remember, in our English translation says Jesus, but it was actually the name Jehoshua. Joshua spoke back to Joshua from the Old Testament. Again, Peter reaches back into their tradition and says, let me give you another name, and that name is Joshua. To them, they would have heard deliverer when that name was said. That's what that name meant to them. And they would have agreed. They would have agreed wholeheartedly that the Messiah would be a deliverer. 
That's why they wanted the Messiah to come, to, to deliver them. They wanted to be delivered from the oppression of the Roman government and those over them. They wanted, they wanted to, to be delivered as they had heard those stories. Those stories about God in the past and how He had delivered the people of Israel. He had taken them out of bondage into a promised land. They wanted that deliverance. So when He said that, that this Messiah would be Joshua, deliverer, they would have said, yes. Yet they were ignorant. That... The deliverance they needed wasn't from Rome. It was from sin and denial of this man, Jesus Christ. The third name they would have heard would have been this Holy One. And there would have been no way around it for them. They would have understood that holiness is important in the eyes of God. And, and they even set aside, they had this holy of holies in the temple. They, they had the priest that was holy. Everything about their tradition had these things, these implements within the temple that were holy. They would have agreed, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Messiah coming from God would have been a holy one. <laughs> Yet they were ignorant to the fact that the man who walked among them, Jesus, was the Holy One. They would have heard the next name, Just One. And boy, did they want justice. <laughs> they wanted justice in a big way, not on them. <laughs> they didn't need justice in their eyes. But, but they wanted justice. <laughs> they, they agreed that that Messiah that would come, that would ride into town and wipe things out, would have been the Messiah that would have brought God's justice on those who were unrighteous, yet they were ignorant. They were ignorant that the justice God was bringing was not on a nation, was not on a government, was not on a people, but was on those who made God something other than what He really was. And they were doing that. They, they didn't understand that this God was a God of mercy and grace. See, when Peter uses this <laughs> yet now word, he switches from the justice switch to the grace switch that we'll see in the weeks ahead. And he, he goes on then with that fifth name, the Prince of Life. <laughs> they would have agreed that this Messiah, this Messiah that come was going to give them the life that God had intended for the nation of Israel. This, this life they, they desired and were looking forward to the day that their, their king would come and give their nation life again. For, for so long, we look for dates and times that nations do things, and especially that the time that nation of Israel would be a nation again. They were looking for life to be breathed back into this nation of Israel. Yet they were ignorant to the fact that the life they really needed was eternal life, and this Messiah that walked the earth that they killed brought that life. You see, all the names that Peter had used for Jesus, the Messiah, had rung a harmonious bell within their heart that, yes, we agree, that, that is what the Messiah is going to be. Yet at the same time, they couldn't wrap their head around the fact that this Jesus, whom they had murdered, was that Messiah. Yet now... <laughs> As Peter says, yet now he hits them with the name that makes all the difference in the world. The name, the name that can only be given by God. The name that encompasses all the other five names and characteristics. The name, what is it? Verse 18, he says that the Christ, the Christ so we see that word Christ, and we don't think about it much, but I told you that the Jews were looking for a Messiah to come. Here's the interesting fact about this word 
Christ in your English Bible. It's Christos. In the, in the Greek, Christos is the translation of the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word that is translated there is the word for Messiah. See, when he said Christ, he said <laughs> that the Messiah would suffer. See, the thing that they've been waiting for, he now throws the name out and says, you know what? You're in agreement. These first five all encompass this Messiah. He has all those things in him. And let me tell you this. Messiah is the sixth name that I want to give you. The sixth name. What Peter's trying to get across to them and us is that Jesus wasn't some random character on the scene of Jewish history. He he wasn't, Jesus wasn't just the right man at the right place at the right time. Jesus was and is the one God chose to anoint. Because when they heard this word Messiah, they thought about the anointed one. Christ Christos, the anointed one. He is God's anointed one. That's why Jesus... When Jesus talks about himself, I find it very interesting how it relates to how the prophets talked and how God talked about himself in the Old Testament. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus says, I am the only anointed Messiah. There has never been another one that has come. There will never be another one to show up on the scene. I am, is what he said. (laughs) I am. What Peter wants him to understand is to deny Jesus is to miss your opportunity. To be in right relationship with God. There is no other opportunity. There is no other vehicle. There is no other Savior coming. There is no other way to get to heaven and in right relationship with God except through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And and that's what he's trying to get across. And there's two points he makes very quickly. Two points he makes. The first one he makes is that Jesus was fully human. (laughs) That's what he said whenever he said that the Christ would suffer. Think about it for a minute. How could the Messiah suffer if he wasn't human? And he was. He was fully human. In order for Jesus to suffer, he had to be uh, human. In order for him to take on the sufferings of humanity, he also had to be human. For him to do that which God sent him for, he had to be fully human. Because what was he coming to forgive? Humanity. The sin of humanity. We know he was human because he was born of, of a virgin, a virgin mother. Remember Matthew 1.18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And it goes on to say that after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. He was born of a human mother. The Bible goes on to tell us that he grew up as a child. He, he didn't just go from, from being a baby to a 30-year-old man doing ministry. There was a time period that he grew as a child. It tells us in in Luke 2.40, and the child grew and became strong, came to strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him, the Bible tells us. You know, Jesus also experienced humanness, human weakness. Have you ever thought about the humanness of Christ? give you a couple quick pointers. It tells us in the Bible that he got tired. Remember the story? John 4, 6, it says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. Jesus got tired like we do. You know, he not only got tired, he got hungry. Matthew 4, 2 says, And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. His human body was hungry. You know, he also got thirsty. <laughs> From his own 
lips, it says in John 19, 28, and after Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said from the cross, I thirst. See, he was, he was full of human. He was even full of human to the point that he sorrowed. He sorrowed. Because if you remember in John 11, somewhere around the 34th, 35th verse, matter of fact, shortest verse in the Bible, says that he stood at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. The verse is two words. <laughs> Jesus wept. See, see, he was human. He had a body that could even be touched, if you remember. He had a physical body that could be touched. Because in Luke 24, 39, it says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. See, Jesus was fully human. Boy, it's hard to wrap your head around that, isn't it? It's so hard to wrap your head around it, but it's important. Why did Jesus have to be human? It's so he could be perfectly obedient representative of what God desires of us. So that he could be a perfectly obedient representative. You see, if he came as something other than a human, we'd always have a scapegoat that, well, he lived a perfect life, but he wasn't like us. We don't have that excuse. He lived a perfect life and he felt all the things that you felt and I felt. And see, this contrast of a perfectly obedient representative is in direct opposition to the contrast of Adam when it says he was a representative of disobedience. How do we know that? Because Romans 5, 19, Paul writes this, For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. See, he had to come and be a human because a human was disobedient to God and sin entered the world. We were all born with that sin in us because we were born human also with a nature that desired to sin. Jesus came, lived a human life that was obedient to the Father that we may have what? Righteousness. You see, by Adam's disobedience, sin entered the world. By Christ's obedience, sin had a way to be forgiven. Because of him, just as Jesus had to be human and to live a life in our place, he also had to be human to die in our place. You see, that sin, as Romans says, we all have. We've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. That sin that we all have, Romans tells us, leads to death, eternal death. If you remember the Old Testament, there were sacrifices, death. If you remember, God set forth all the way back in the book of Genesis that something must die for the penalty of sin, for sins forgiven through the spilling of blood. Forgiveness comes through that blood. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says, Therefore in all things he had to be like his brethren, Jesus had to be like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. <laughs> Friend, that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is also able to aid those who are tempted. Aren't you glad to know? Aren't you glad to know that Jesus was willing to wrap himself in human flesh and come experience everything that you've experienced? So that not only could he die for your sins, but even after you've accepted that forgiveness, as temptation comes into your life, as failure comes into your life, as heartache comes into your life, you can lean on the breast of Jesus who could say, 
I know what you're going through. I've shed those tears. I felt that pain. I've had that temptation. Aren't you glad to know that he came and put on human flesh so that he could look at you and have compassion? And know that what you go through? And see, that's part of his humanness. But the second thing, very quickly, that he not only said that Jesus was fully human, but he said Jesus was fully God. <laughs> Don't miss this point. You see, he says he was fully God because in that 18th verse he says, but uh, those things which God had foretold by the mouth of all those prophets that the Christ would suffer, comma, he has thus fulfilled. He has thus fulfilled. For generations before, prophets have prophesied about this coming Messiah. Over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what that's like? That's like saying... You know, what are the chances of just an ordinary human being fulfilling those? It's like taking one grain of sand and marking it with a Sharpie and throwing it on the beach somewhere and sending out a search party to find one grain of marked sand among billions of grains of sand on the beach. It didn't happen by chance. Jesus didn't fulfill these prophecies by chance. He was able to fulfill the prophecies because he was divine. (laughs) Because he was God wrapped in a human body. He didn't fulfill them out of chance. He filled them out of divinity. That God had said, you, you go, my son, wrapped in flesh, you live. Those things that I prophesied about you, you will fulfill. See, Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything that's in the Godhead was in Christ in a human body. Boy, I wish I could tell you I could explain it. I can't. I think that's why God says we must live by faith. He is way smarter than me. I don't know how he put it together. All knows he did. All I know is he did. In Christ dwelt God. He was God in bodily form. Jesus being God in bodily form is why he could fulfill all of those prophecies that were spoken about the Messiah by those prophets years before. And that's how Christ could be our salvation. That's that's really how he could be our salvation. For only a spotless lamb could take away the sins of the world. See, for all the lambs that had ever been slaughtered at the temple in Jerusalem there would have to come another lamb on another day. There would have to be another sacrifice yearly, the Day of Atonement. But when the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, died, He said it from the cross Himself, it is finished. There are no more sacrifices. Because this fully man, fully God, crawled upon a cross and died for our sins. That's how when John writes this gospel, when John writes this beautiful gospel, he makes these statements. One day we'll take time to look at each of those. But they're called the I am statements. Have you ever studied the I am statements? Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of life. I am the true vine. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He makes these I am statements. Connect that to the prophets in the Old Testament. Just as God, when Moses approached him and said, okay, you want me to go to him, who do I say sent me? What did God say? I am who I am. When Jesus in the New Testament says, I am the bread of life, he's echoing the words of God the Father when he says, I am who I am. 
Just like those Jews gathered in the porch of Solomon, listening to Peter explain the importance of understanding, the importance of knowing who Jesus is, we need to understand who Jesus is in our lives. We need to understand who this Messiah is. I know there's some came here today looking for a servant. You came here looking for a servant. There's something in your life you need taken care of, and you're looking for a God who will serve you by giving you what you want. There's someone that came looking for a servant. There's someone that came looking for a deliverer today. You've got a situation in your life that is bigger than you can imagine. You're looking for someone to deliver you from that situation, a God who will deliver you from that situation. Some came today looking for a holy and a just one. You want God to set you apart from the craziness of this world? And you want Him to bring justice on stuff that seems so foolish? It just drives you nuts. You watch news and you say, God, set me apart from that. Send somebody to just wipe them off the face of the earth. You're looking for a holy and just one. Some came this morning looking for the prince of life. Quite honestly, you don't like the life you got. You can't see anything good at the end of the rainbow. You can't wrap your head around this life that you're living winding up good. And it's frustrating. And you came this morning looking for a God that will just make your life better. You know, but there's some that came this morning looking for Christ. Christ who embodies all of those things in the Messiah. Each of the first five names can be found in religion. Do you realize that? There are religions all around us that try to accomplish the first five names. There are people who are willing in the name of their religion to serve. There are people who in the name of their religion are willing to deliver people from the circumstances that they're in. You know, there are people in, in their religion that actually start compounds and go places or, or move people all over the place so that they can be set apart and have their own justice in the world. There are those people that will stand in a pulpit and call themselves a preacher of the gospel and say, you know, the best life you'll ever have, you can have today. Huh. Hogwash. If this is the best we have, I'm checking out. You know, but there's, there's only one. There's only one place you can get Christ. There's only one place you can get all of those things in one person. And that's in Jesus. In Jesus. Know that what you came here looking for this morning can be found in a person. A personal relationship with a person named Jesus. His last name is not Christ. But his title is Christ. Jesus the Christ. You see, for those of us who know him as our Lord and Savior, we wear that name. We're little Christ. Little Christians. A name that one day at its very mention, everyone's knee will go to the ground and everyone will confess that he is Lord. That's the name of Jesus Christ. My question to you today, is he your Savior? Have you come to know him as the Messiah? Not just deliverance from a problem, not just someone to save you from a situation or to give you things. Do you truly know him as the Savior? 
one that died on a cross for your sins. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if today is the last day that you'll draw a breath on this earth, that you will see him face to face in a glorious way, not in a fearful way? That you will see him as he is, your Savior. If you answer yes to that, there's a second question. Is he also your Lord? You see, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's easy. It's easy to say he's your Savior. It's a little difficult to put your money where your mouth's at. Is he your Lord? Are the decisions you make in your life every day based upon the fact that he saved you and he is your Lord? If not, you can change that today. You can respond to the calling of God's word on your heart. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.